You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Hope you've got your copy of God's Word. We're going to start in on a little series in the book of Jude, the epistle of Jude. I'm going to spend a couple of weeks in it. I don't know how long my um, predecessor at First Jacksonville, Dr. Vine, said that he preached six sermons on it and really thought that there were only four that were there that should be preached. I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, I don't know, I think there's more than six here. So I don't have any clue how long we'll go, but uh, we're going to look at it. I believe it is a word for where the church is in our day. Um, With all of the things that are coming up in the church, all of these thoughts and ideas and concepts that are continuously bubbling up in the church, it's a word for the church in our day. I I taught the earlier part of this week. I was in uh, Fort Worth, Texas teaching, and uh, one of my students made the comment um, in the midst of discussion and talking, he made the comment, he said, you know, I don't know that I really can um, give you a definition per se of Christianity, but when I see it, I know it. Now think about that for just a minute. Back on October the 5th, 2006, there were 25 children gathered in a one-room schoolhouse uh, in a place called Nickel Mines in Pennsylvania. Uh, Those students that were there were Amish. Um, Those Amish students were there, that one-room schoolhouse Uh, They are the descendants of the Anabaptists. So many of y'all have asked me, am I ever going to teach anything on the Anabaptists? Well, they trace themselves back to uh, the 16th century radical reformers, the Anabaptists, and uh, they hold to much of the same doctrine. Now, by the way, the Amish and the Mennonites, both of whom came out of the Anabaptists, both believe the same doctrine. They both hold to believers' baptism. They both hold to uh, certain types of worship, certain things about modern society. And there's some differences along the way, uh, mainly in their dress, um, some certain other things as well. Uh, But understand that these are people whose background is that of complete persecution. So into that schoolhouse, that October the 5th morning, 2006, Uh, came a guy by the name of Charles Carl Roberts IV, 32-year-old milk truck driver who uh, came and broke into that school classroom with with a shotgun, a 12-gauge shotgun, a .30-06, a 9-millimeter pistol, a stun gun, two knives, and 600 rounds of ammunition along with two-by-fours and two-by-sixes because his intention was he was going to board himself up in there with those students. When he went in, he saw the teacher who was Emma May Zook, and he told her to take the 15 boys and to get out. She went out with the 15 boys. There was also a a, a young lady there that was expecting a child. He dismissed her. He dismissed three other young ladies who had infants. And as they left, Emma May ran to the closest farmhouse, got on a telephone, and called the police. 
Charles Roberts stayed in that courthouse, in that schoolhouse, tied up those 10 girls that were left. He tied their hands behind their backs and he stood them against a wall. They were age 6 to 13 years of age. 10. The girls asked him, what are you going to do with us? And why do you want to harm us? And he looked at them and he said, because I'm angry at God. The oldest girl there, Marianne Fisher, stepped forward and she said this. Why don't you shoot me and let these others go? Her little sister, 11 years old, stepped forward and said, No, why don't you keep me, shoot me, and let these others go? One by one, these girls began to say that. And Charles Roberts became unnerved at how kind they were to him and how loving they were to each other. Within nine minutes, the police showed up. And because he could not handle what he was seeing in these girls, and because he knew that the police had come way early, at point-blank range, he shot all ten girls. He killed five. Five others were wounded, some severely, but the other five survived. He killed two seven-year-olds, an eight-year-old, and a 13-year-old. The world watched. And as the world watched, the world said, why would anybody hurt little girls? And why would anybody hurt especially Amish little girls? And as the story came out, the world said this, We don't understand the Amish, and we don't understand really Christianity, but we know when we see it that we've seen it. That's exactly what Jude is talking about in that little epistle toward the end of your New Testament. It's right before the book of Revelation, and I want you to take your copy of God's Word, and I want you to go there with me, because he's talking about real Christianity and the great need for people in the church to see and experience what genuine Christianity is all about. He knows that Christians need to see lived out what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Christ. And so for the next number of weeks, we're going to look at a very tough book. I hope I've got a sermon for next Sunday. Because I want to tell you, I've worked on this thing for about three weeks, and it is just tough. This is a difficult little book. And when I get through preaching this little book, some of y'all may be mad at me. Because we're going to talk about things that have slipped into the church that have no place in the church. Like we have abandoned a genuine commitment to Christ for political positions. Now, I'm going to tell you, I didn't come here to win a popularity contest. So, if it upsets you, you you just be upset. You know what? I bet you get over it. But I'm going to tell you, there are things that we have put in the place of Christ and his word 
that we get hot and bothered about in the church and some in the church are far more concerned about who's president and who's not president than they are their own family members who are going to die and go to hell if they don't share a witness with them. Hey, now let's just sit there. Amen. Amen. That's what Jude's going to do. I promise you I will root it all in the word of Scripture. So go with me now, if you will, to Jude chapter 1. It's the only chapter you've got. So if I get up here and say go to Jude 3, don't fall for it. Verse 1, verse 2, and I'll just get into verse 3, and hopefully next week we'll come back and we'll begin to look at uh, what's going on in the rest of 3 and into chapter 4. By the way, let me point out, because this is introduction, let me show you the main verb in the entire 25 verses of Jude. The main verb is right there in verse 3, contend. Contend for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith which was once handed down or once given to the saints. Now that's the main verb. Everything in this little book is going to revolve uh, just around that. So you need to mark that, keep that in your mind. This is exactly what Jude is calling the church to do. Now, let me show you a second thing about Jude. Uh, it's interesting that Jude and First and Second Peter just walk hand in hand with each other. In fact, if you remember back, just keep your finger right there in Jude. Go back and look at First Peter, uh, chapter one. First Peter, chapter one. You remember. Peter is writing to the church scattered across all of this area, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. He's writing to the churches across this whole wide area, basically what we know as modern-day Turkey today. He writes them, and he writes them because they have come under severe persecution or persecution that is becoming increasingly more severe. So he writes them, their families have turned on them, uh, their, their business partners have turned on them, society, their neighbors, their friends, their community has turned on them. Listen to what he says, chapter 1 of 1 Peter verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. You're coming under, you're having your property taken. Uh, you've lost your job because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've had family turn on you because you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've had friends that no longer will socialize with you because you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. And he comes on over in chapter 4 and listen to what he says in verse 12. Beloved, don't be surprised at these fiery ordeals uh, among you which comes on you for your testing as though something strange were happening to you. You should understand as a believer that uh, the world is going to reject you and uh, persecute you. So all the persecution in First and Second Peter was coming from outside the church. When you come to the little epistle of Jude, the persecution now or the problem or the situation or the trouble is coming from inside the church. 
You remember, I just happen to remember this, and every time I think about Jude, and I think about all the trouble coming from inside the church, I happen to remember, because I lived through the 60s, and I was not, I was young enough to remember the 60s. Um, You know, if you grew up in the 60s, and you were teenagers or older, uh, and you say, I remember the 60s, nobody that were teenagers or older remembers the 60s. Um, but I was young enough that I was not in all of that. I remember, and I remember back uh, this whole thing that took place, and that was, uh, it may have taken place in the last 50, in the late 50s, when Khrushchev sat in the United Nations, took off his shoe, banged it on the desk that he sat at, and he promised America, he said, we will take you over and never fire a single shot because you will rot from the inside. That's what happens a lot of times. I think Khrushchev was a prophet. I didn't read him in the Old Testament, but I think he may have been a prophet. That's what happens to a lot of the church. That's where the church was headed in Jude. There was a lot of rottenness that had come up in the church that was bothering the churches. Now, watch this. Note this. Uh, put your finger there in Jude. Go back to Second Peter chapter 2 because Peter is warning the the Christians. He says, I know you're going through persecution. I know the Roman government now, because Paul was, uh, Peter was in Rome when he wrote this, that the Roman government is now um, killing Christians, burning Christians, feeding them to um, various animals, lighting them on fire, doing various things. So Peter writes and he says, listen, I know that's happening, but he says, let me tell you what else is going to happen. Speaking and referring back to the Old Testament, false pro- or or or, or uh, the Old Testament people of God, false prophets also arose among those people. Uh, in the history of Israel, there were false prophets uh, that rose up and pretended to speak from God. Just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master. Can you say with me, deconstruction? Any of y'all ever heard that? Come on, you young people. I know you've heard it. Hadn't you heard it? Why don't you raise your hand? Y'all just nodding at me. Yeah, raise your hand. I've heard of deconstruction. Sure, I know they have. Go ask one of them what deconstruction is. We're going to talk a little bit about deconstruction. You say, what is deconstruction? You have to come back. And I'll tell you. That's what he's saying right here. He's saying they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you. Now listen, that's not always a greed for money. A lot of times it's a greed for position or a greed for popularity or a greed for notoriety. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Can you say deconstruction? Their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not Wickedness never takes a holiday. It never goes to bed. See also the Old Testament. Um, you, You see it so clearly there. So he comes and he says this. Peter says, this is coming. Jude says, hey, wake up, it's here. 
And they are written basically about the same time. Now, there's great debate as to when Jude was written. Was he written before First and Second Peter? Was it written after? I'm not getting into all that debate. But that tends to make me think that Jude was written about the same time right after Second Peter. Uh, it tends to make me believe that Jude says, listen, uh, Peter warned you about this. I'm telling you, you need to wake up. It's here. It's already in the church, and what's in the church, you need to contend for the gospel. Contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Now, he says what has happened is that there is this infiltration and indoctrination of deception that has come into the body of the church, into the house of God, among the people of God. He's going to refer to these people, and most of the commentators will refer to them as apostates. Now, you've heard that word before, apostates. You go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, and Paul warns that there is going to be an apostasy uh, that will come and then will come the man of lawlessness. In other words, the Antichrist. He's saying that in the last days, there's going to be this falling away. That's what the word apostasy means. Uh, the noun, um, apostate, uh, the verb apostasy literally means to fall away. To fall away from the faith. To turn away from the faith. Have we seen that in our day? Well, we have among some, Paul Maxwell you may know, who wrote Desiring, of God, Desiring God, suddenly just stood up and said, I no longer believe in Jesus. I no longer believe the word of God. I quit Christianity. I'm out of here. You say, how does that happen? I don't know. I don't understand it either. Uh, Joshua Harris, you know, I kissed dating goodbye. I thought it was a good book. Uh, Joshua Harris has stood up. I reject Je Preacher. I reject you. I started to do that this morning, but I know it would get out on the internet and it would be, um, it would be, somebody would go through and they would, you know, cut that little section. I started to come out and say, folks, I'm leaving because I don't believe any of this anymore. I, I, just to see what you would say, just to see what your reaction would be. But that's what's happened. Pastors have stood up in front of their churches and said, I have been here for the last 10, 15 years preaching Jesus Christ, but I don't believe it anymore and I'm done. I'm finished. I'm out of here. I'm gone. He's done that. Uh, songwriter Marty Sampson for Hillsong, who wrote music for them, simply stood up and said, hey, I don't believe Jesus anymore. I'm not sure about any of this. Don't believe it anymore. I'm done with it. I'm finished with it. I'm out of here. And there are others that have done this. That's what you would call an apostate. Now, are y'all listening to me at this point? Is everybody awake? Okay. I'm going to tell you what I believe, and most conservative evangelicals believe this as well. In fact, I talked to Dr. Vines this week. He just did a PhD on the book of Jude. And uh, I, I talked to him about this very issue, and he agrees. I do not believe that there is such a thing as an apostate. There are people who claim, I follow Jesus Christ, God's called me to preach, I'm up here, I'm talented, I'm gifted, I have great charisma, I have incredible people skills, and I am able to dazzle people with an oratorical ability, uh, but I, and yes, I'm a, this is where I flesh out this ability that I have, and then I come to the realization, no, I, I don't believe it anymore, I don't believe that. If you're saved and know Jesus Christ, you're saved and know Jesus Christ. 
And you say, when I preach, I'm just, I've got questions about it. Well, we'll talk about it another time. Now, I'm not saying that Christians don't sin. They do sin. I'm not saying that there aren't Christians that don't backslide. I've watched people who had put their faith in Jesus Christ as far as I know. The only person that I know for certain that is saved is me. I can't know that about anybody else. I can't say you are. I can't say you're not. I can look at what you do and make some determinations. But I've watched some people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ uh, get into sin, fall out of church, and then come back in great repentance and sorrow to follow Christ. Listen, yes, that can happen. But is it possible for a genuine believer? No, all genuine believers will be saved. You say, how do you know that? Persevere to the end, brothers and sisters. Persevere to the end. You just live it to the moment you die. Now, that's what he says is happening. You've got people who have claimed to be believers in Christ who are coming into the church and they are teaching all kind of stuff that really has no place in the gospel. Now, let me show you, let me show you two New Testament examples that kind of hit at this. So now we're going to let your fingers do the walking through the holy pages. Okay? You remember that from AT&T? Let your fingers do the walking through the yellow pages. Go with me to Acts chapter 8. Let me show you something here. Here is Philip. And Philip is out preaching in Samaria. And as he preaches in Samaria, there's this guy named Simon who was formerly practicing magic in the city, astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. There's always a preacher out there claiming to be great, right? Well, here he is, right here in the New Testament. Chapter 8, Philip is preaching. He's watching. Simon is watching. Uh, and uh, he's seeing all these things that are happening when Philip lays his hands on new believers. Uh, they come down from Jerusalem. And now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They began laying their hands on them. They were receiving the Holy Spirit. This is what you call the Samaritan Pentecost. It happens, there's the Jewish Pentecost back in chapter 2 of Acts. Here's the Samaritan Pentecost here. And there is a Gentile Pentecost. And it's as if the Holy Spirit is saying, I saved Jews, Samaritans who are half-breeds, and Gentile, just pure pagans. I, think I save them all just alike. No difference. No difference. I just save everybody the same way. Doesn't matter who they are, culturally, relationally, uh, racially, uh, personally, educationally, I save them all the same way. So he, they come down, Peter does that. Now watch this, verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, hey, let me buy this from you. S show me that trick. Sell that to me. I'll purchase it from you. It's almost like one magician buying a magic trick from another magi ma magician. You know they do that, don't you? 
It's kind of interesting, fascinating. Give me this authority as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter looked at him and said, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God without money. You have no part or portion in this matter. Your heart's not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours. Pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. And Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, was he saved or not? I really don't know and don't have time to get into that. But I will tell you this. This is what these wandering uh, ministers, wandering preachers, you call them whatever you want to, wandering evangelists were doing. They were performing these signs. They were making money and they were getting popular doing it. And you see right here where Simon, the magician, sees this happen. And Peter says, hey, man, sell me that. Sell me that ability to do that. And Peter jumps all over him. He contends for the faith once delivered for the saints. You see that? Yes, pastor. Yes, yes. Okay. All right, good. Chapter 19 of Acts. Chapter 19. You come to Ephesus. Paul is at Ephesus. Look at verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. But some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place uh, attempted to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you see this? These are, these are not real believers, they are Jewish exorcists who travel. This is a traveling show. Barnum and Bailey, one of the sideshows here, go in and watch these exorcists uh, cast out demons and evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus. Were they actually doing it? I don't have a clue. Doesn't really matter to what I'm telling you. But look at what's said, what said next. So they come up and they say to one of these men with an evil spirit, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. The seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know Paul, but who in the devil are you? That's a loose translation. But since we're talking about evil spirits, it kind of fits. Who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit. Now, if you don't, if this isn't funny to you, let me tell you, there are some funny parts to scripture. This is one of them. The man in whom the evil spirits dwelled jumped on these seven brothers and beat them naked. There you go, right there. Now, that's what's happening. That's what Jude says, this is what's coming into the church. This is the whole background of what's going on in Jude is that there are those who had infiltrated the church and they believe they're right. They believe that they really had, listen, I'm, I'm coming in here and I've got this new concept about this or that or the other and I want you to listen to me. Don't put your Bible away and just listen to what I'm talking about here. They come, they infiltrate the church and they begin all of this deceptive teaching thinking that they are right, thinking that they are true and they're beginning to draw some of those who've trusted into Christ into following error and misinformation. Jude says, you guys need to stand up and contend for the faith. Fight for the gospel. Now, we'll come to all of that 
in the days ahead, but that's the whole thing. And before you can contend, let me tell you, before you can stand up and contend for the faith, you had better be sure you are grounded in the faith. Or you'll end up like a son of Sceva, get your clothes beat off of you. (laughs) Now, to Jude. Jude, verse 1. Now, let me show you what he's coming to do right here. Something's happened. In the midst of writing to them, he changes verb tenses, which tells me that's very poor English. Don't do that. You'll be graded off. But it is really good New Testament. It tells me what's happened. Look at verse 3 instead of verse 1. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. While he says that, that is a present active indicative right there. While I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. There he shifts tenses and it goes to the aorist active indicative. In other words, you say, well, now what does all that mean? It means this. Here is Jude. He sits down to write the church and he says, I'm going to write to them about our common faith. And in the middle, just as I got started, in the middle of that, there was some news that came in that something was happening and I had to shift from what I was writing to you to what I'm writing to you about right now. And that is this apostasy, these false teachers, this corrupt idea that has found its way into the church of Jesus Christ. Now, before he does that, do you notice? Before he does that, he does speak in verse 1 and verse 2 about what we share in common. And for the next six minutes, and I bet it'd be a little longer than that, for the next six minutes, I want to show you two things that we share in common that come from the pen of Jude. As Jude begins, look, he speaks of our common identity. I bet that was your brother trying to call me. Which I will beat the clothes off of him if it was later. Um, Okay, now watch. He comes and he says, listen, this is what we share in common. Now he's speaking. I'm going to wrap this up by showing this to you. He's talking to every one of us in here now. Jude, now notice, Jude has a penchant for triplets. For saying three different things or using things in triplet. Jude... A bondservant, which literally means a slave. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ, a brother of James. Three names, three nouns. Jude, Jesus Christ, James. Isn't it interesting that he puts himself on one side of Christ and his brother James on the other side of Christ? Who's in the middle? Who's, who's in the point of emphasis here? Jesus Christ. And he comes and he says, I am a slave. He doesn't even mention that Jesus is his half-brother, that their mother is Mary. Joseph was his father. Joseph was James' father. Mary was all three of their mothers. But Jesus is the living son of God. Uh, She was a virgin when she conceived And so he comes now and he says, this is who I am. I am just a slave of Jesus Christ. 
He comes and he says to those who are the called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Now he makes three statements there. He's going to make three statements in verse 2, by the way. But he makes three statements here. And he says, this is what we share in common. Speaking of himself, speaking of his brother James, speaking of every believer. He comes and he says, these are three things that we share in common with each other. Number one, what do we have in common? It is this, we share a common call. Do you see that? He says, to those who are the kletos, called, kletos, not ekletos. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter. He calls us the ekletos, the, the chosen ones. Here, we are just simply the called. We are part of those who have been called. And by the way, let me point out something. Who does the calling? The Holy Spirit. Go back to John chapter 16. Look back at John chapter 16 for just a minute. And listen to what Jesus says there about the Holy Spirit. He comes and he calls us. How does, how does the Holy Spirit call you? How do I know that I'm being called by the Holy Spirit? Well, listen to what he says in verse 8. And he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Right there, I knew that I was being called uh, by the Holy Spirit in my life because I was under conviction about sin in my life. I, I was getting convicted about sin in my life. I was getting convicted about the judgment of God on my life. I was under conviction about the fact that I wasn't living the right kind of life. That's how the Holy Spirit calls you. He says, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. You'll no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I've been, following the, I've been following the ruler of this world, and I'm now under conviction, and I realize judgment's going to fall on him, which means judgment is going to fall on me. And so the Holy Spirit begins to call me by convicting me. You may be sitting here right now, and it may be difficult for you to sit in this place, not really because of what I'm saying, but because the Holy Spirit is calling you, and in the call of the Holy Spirit is the conviction of God about sin in your life. That's how I came to Christ. That's how we all came to Christ. And Jesus said, you can be sure when the Holy Spirit speaks, he's going to be talking about me. He will glorify me, verse 14. For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All the things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine. He'll disclose it to you. The Holy Spirit is going to speak to your life, not about all these side issues. Social justice, CRT, deconstruction. The Holy Spirit is going to speak to you about Jesus. That's what he's going to talk to you about. He's not interested in what's going on on YouTube. He's not going to discuss with you what's happening on channel 362 and some goofballs up there is preaching a prosperity gospel. He's going to talk to you about Jesus. And he's going to talk to you about the sin in your life if you've never been forgiven 
by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's the first thing. I have seven seconds left. Here comes the second thing that we have in common. Not just the call. That's how we're saved. uh, But we are beloved. We share this common love. Beloved in God. He says that you and I are beloved in God. Now normally we think of that being loved by God. But it is not loved by God. It is loved in God. And there is a difference. And he is making that difference to show you something. What does it mean to be loved in God? To be loved by God means God loves me. Is that true? Yes. But to be loved in God means I'm enfolded in God the love of God. I am enveloped in the love of God. I am encased in the love of God so that no matter where God goes, I go with the love of God. And no matter where I go, the love of God goes with me. Jiminy Cricket. What an unbelievable thing that we share in common. God has you enfolded in his love. He has me enfolded in his love. He has you encased in his love. We share that in common. The love of God in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Go find that in the world. And the third thing that he says we share in common is this. We are kept for Jesus Christ. It's the keptness we share in common. You say, well, that's not a word. It is now. I just made it up. You just heard it. There is a keptness to us. We are kept in Jesus Christ. We are kept for Jesus. We're kept by God for Jesus Christ. Now, do you remember what Paul said? I have to just, I'm running through this. I'm going to end here shortly, I promise. If you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, do you remember that uh, there Peter says that you and I have an inheritance in Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance that is laid up for us, that is not defiled or corrupted, uh, that will not fade away, and that it is protected by God. Now let me tell you something. You and I have an inheritance in Jesus Christ protected by God. And right here, Jude comes and he flips that thing around and he says, you are kept for Jesus Christ by the protection of God. So as we have an inheritance in Jesus Christ protected by God, Jesus Christ has something and it's you. And you're being kept by God. Now folks, let me, let me just tell you, that's far greater than what your faces reflect. The fact that God has kept me and is going to keep me. Do you know he mentions this word five times and really six times throughout this little 25 verses? He uses the word kept and keep. Just look at it right there. I just showed it to you there in verse 1. Look in verse 6. And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their abode, he has kept an eternal. That's three times right there. You get over here to verse 21. And in verse 21 it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Uh, We'll talk about that. Look in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. He is able to keep you from stumbling, falling into sin. God is able to keep you. Protect you, guard you, watch over you, preserve you from falling into sin and to present you in his presence, in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. Man, I can't wait to get to that verse. 
You're kept. Listen, we all share those three things in common. Now watch this. That's, our, that's what we share in common. This thing right here. Now watch it what he says next. That's our common identity right there. Here comes our common blessing. Look at verse 2. Mercy, peace, and love. There's another triplet. Mercy, not grace. This is the salutation of the letter. Most Greek letters or most New Testament letters do not begin with mercy. How do they begin? Grace, with grace. Grace be to you. Something's going on with grace. That's why he comes down here and he talks about that when he begins to to talk about those who've come into the church uh, who have really evidently taken ungodly persons, verse 4, who turned the grace of our God into licentiousness. So he doesn't begin with grace. Grace is what every sinner receives from God when they come to Jesus Christ in repentance. You get God's grace. That is God's forgiveness. He showers his grace on you. Mercy is what you get when you're in the midst of a struggle, when you're in the midst of a difficulty, when you're in the midst of something that is going on where you are suffering, you get mercy. They are struggling now in the church for the faith. They're struggling now for the purity of the gospel. They're struggling now to keep all of these isms that should be wasms out of the church. And they're struggling with that. And Jude writes and he says, may God multiply his mercy to you. And then he comes and he says his peace. When you experience the mercy of Jesus Christ, you will automatically experience his peace. God, I'm going through a difficult time. I'm, you know, I'm trying to stand for what is right. I'm, I'm trying to stand for uh, today is... Um, Sanctity of Human Life Day. I don't believe in abortion any any kind of way whatsoever. Um, uh, you know, all, all of this, well, it, my body, my choice. Listen, let me tell you something. Not your body, not your choice. Those of you that are Christians, you've been bought with a price. You don't belong to you. You're like Jude. You're a slave to the master. And for everybody else walking around out there who've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's the one who created them. So it's not your body. Baloney. Get married and find out. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, here you go. Y'all don't laugh when I do stuff like that. It just ags me on. Watch it what he says. Mercy, peace. Here is the peace of God that passes all understanding. I will lie down and go to sleep for I am at peace with thee. That in the midst of standing and fighting for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the world turns and other believers turn on me, God has mercy on me, gives me strength, encourages me, holds me together. And in the midst of that mercy comes the peace of God. And look at the last thing. He turns to love. He just can't keep saying, God loves you. I'd just stand up here for 30 minutes one day and say this, God loves you. 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 Do you realize that? Does it make a difference in your life? God loves me. He says, I pray because verse 2 is a prayer that this be multiplied to you. 
that God would pour this out on you. Now, do you see that right there? Look at that, that whole thing of multiplied to you. Do you see that? It's singular in the Greek. He's not saying it just to you or to you or to one individual. The you is the church. It's all of us collectively. We all share in this common identity. We all share in this blessing. That is, God won't give me his mercy and not give it to you. Sure he will. Now, we go through different things. But he gives me his mercy. He'll give you his mercy as well. He gives me, listen, his peace. He'll give you his peace as well. He gives me his love. He gives you his love as well. This is a word for all of us. Where have you ever seen that carried out? Where you have seen, if all of us rose up together to do one thing for the glory of God so that the world might would see us, on that October 5th, 2006 afternoon, after their daughters had been shot, five of them killed, five of them in the hospital, those Amish families rode their buggy and horses over to the home of Miss Roberts and sat with her because that day, Charles Carl Roberts IV shot and killed himself. And they said, she is suffering and we will go minister to her. They went not only to her house, they went to the home of the parents of Charles Carl Roberts IV because they said, those parents are suffering. They have lost a son. Even though that man killed our daughters and wounded our daughters, and on the day that that man was buried, the Amish showed up and stood around Miss Roberts and her three little children so that the news media could not film them grieving. And they went and they stood in the cemetery as the man who had shot their children was buried. Now, I don't know about you, but that is Christianity. That is being a servant of Jesus Christ. Let's stand and pray about it. Whew, Father, your word has the ability to shake the foundation of our life without cracking it. This is, this is something that has shaken me. Father, I want to live like a true believer. And I want to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Father, I pray for that person that's here this morning who's never trusted in you as Lord and Savior and your spirit is speaking to them right now. I pray, Father, that what they hear is that God loves them and that Jesus loves them and has died for them to forgive their sins who will come into their heart and their lives 
and will change literally all of their wants and desires so that what they want and desire is to magnify you. I pray for that one father today that needs to come and say, I will follow Jesus Christ. But for the score of us that are here, Lord, that sit so comfortable in our Christianity, disturb us, unsettle us, and help us, Father, to become men and women who are willing to contend for the faith, but that we have first made sure that we are grounded in the faith. For I pray it in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed, I have no idea what God is saying, how God is speaking to you. But I implore you to come. Come to Jesus. Give your life to him. Come and be a part of this fellowship if you're visiting. You've trusted Jesus Christ. You need to be a part of a local church. You need to stand with the body of Christ and not just out in the shadows somewhere. For those of you that are here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, come today and put your faith in him. Christian, come and get at this altar. Young people, listen. If God is speaking to your heart about ministry, surrender to this awesome God who has enfolded you in his love. You come now as we wait. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.